As I shared last Sunday night, we're, we're going to kind of continue in, in, in a sense as we embarked nearly a year ago in this study, Simply the Savior. We've gone through the I Ams, we've gone through the Beatitudes, we've traveled through the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're going to move on in exactly the order that really these events occurred, and Jesus is now going to descend from the Mount of the Beatitudes there in Tabitha, and he's going to go down to the Cove of the Sower. That's the first place that he'll travel. And so when he leaves this little tiny hillside, and I'll show you this next Sunday night in the slide, but as he travels down from this little tiny hilltop, and just really about a half mile down the hill, he'll, he'll move to the seaside location on the Sea of Galilee. And as he does so, Jesus takes a portion of the crowd with him. Between Jesus where he's at with the disciples and this crowd of the multitudes and this seaside location, this lakeside location, is a Roman toll road. And that Roman toll road, uh, part of the, the way that the Roman taxation system worked was that they would place stations along the toll road and that toll road would be a place where they would collect those tolls and tax all of the goods that would be traveling Uh, in and around the Roman Empire. And so as Jesus moves down, he has to cross that toll road. And so some of the parables that he will tell, he's going to use, in essence, uh, this, this crossing over into, you know, a place that's distinctly Roman as kind of a backdrop. He's going to talk about lost things, lost sheep, lost coins, all kinds of things that he would be able to use as a, as, as a way of example that would be timeless. And so the parables, as we begin them tonight, uh, with an introduction, are a very, very different style of teaching uh, than primarily the entire Sermon on the Mount, though we've already seen a couple of parabolic teachings. And so as Jesus teaches in in these settings, very distinct is he in why he does what he's going to do as he teaches in parables. If you turn to Luke chapter 8, Luke 8 and verse 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and and he says to them, he said, unto you, unto you, unto the disciples, unto believers, unto people who know the Lord, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You see, Paul would echo that as he wrote to the church at Corinth. He would say spiritual things are spiritually appraised. Their worth, their value, their understanding is known by people who know the Lord. There is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in, takes up residence in you when you become a believer in Christ. And so your mind is then open to the things that relate to the kingdom. And so Jesus is giving a very plain teaching, and tonight we're really going to look at one particular aspect, and that is why does Jesus do this? Why did he speak in parables? He goes on to say in the second half of that verse, but to others, 
And of course, those others would be people who don't know the Lord, who are not in the kingdom yet, not disciples. To you, disciples, it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the others in parables. So he says, here's why I'm doing this. And we want to look at that tonight, that seeing, they might not see. That sounds almost like Jesus is trying to be deceptive. It nearly sounds as though he's trying to do something to kind of trip people up. That seeing, they might not see. And hearing, they might not understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that these wonderful teachings, these timeless teachings, these earthly stories with heavenly meaning, God, were spoken to to those who don't know you so that they might know you. That is certainly the, the big reason. But Lord, there are so many little subtle things that we can learn from the way Jesus taught in the parables and how he spoke these timeless treasures into existence in the lives of so many people who we're seeking, who we're searching. Pray tonight, maybe there's someone who's doing that even tonight. But Lord, for those of us who know you, that we might understand that these timeless tales order a wonderful way for us to express your truths to those who don't know the Lord. As we talk about the one lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, the rich young ruler, all these wonderful tales that have now brought spiritual truth into the world, and the world, without knowing it, speaks them, uses them, and opens their heart and their minds to hear the gospel message. So open our hearts and minds tonight to teach us from your word, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this strange question, this strange assertion by Jesus as he makes this this case, he's he's asked why he basically gives the answer. And and as he says in Matthew's gospel, records it in chapter 13, you know, why do you speak to them? What are you you doing, Lord? What what is it that you're doing? If you flip over to Matthew's gospel, because these are companion passages, remember that the gospel authors recorded the same events, many of them, from slightly different perspectives. And so Matthew, being a tax collector, one of those guys that would have worked on that Roman taxation system, who would have been stationed one of those little toll booths that would collect taxes as goods traveled through the Roman road system, he, he saw it a little differently. And he says there in Matthew thirteen thirteen, and actually we'll look at a part of verse 15 too, he says, therefore, I speak to them in parables. He says, because these people's hearts have waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they've closed lest at any time they should understand with their heart and should be converted. What's Jesus saying? What's he really getting at? Is he he actually trying to conceal the actual message? Is he saying something that as people would hear it, they would actually have a tough time understanding it? It's not at all what he's saying. Jesus is making the case that's very much alive in our world today. People listen to messages just like this for often the wrong reason. They even go to church for the wrong reason. They own Bibles for the wrong reason. 
They actually don't want to understand the gospel message. They're looking for religious knowledge. Jesus actually addressed that with the Pharisees. He said, you guys search the scriptures for you think that in them you have life. You're really a studious at studying this thing called the Torah. But you're missing the whole message. Because you're doing it as an intellectual exercise. You're trying to amass brain cells. You're not trying to hear with spiritual ears. You're not trying to see with spiritual eyes. You're trying to actually do it in a way that makes you special. It gives you some kind of advantage over other people. And of course Jesus wanted them to understand. And so he speaks to them in a way that I think uh, is easy for us to understand. When we get the, the basic principles of the time, you have to remember that Jesus is still alive, so he's not gone to the cross yet. He's speaking to some degree of the things that will be coming in the actual kingdom that have not yet quite happened, but they're imminent, they're going to happen. And if you remember in John's gospel, in John chapter 3, this picture, this man, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He, he's a ruler of the Pharisees. He, he's a very brilliant man. Uh, he is likely of that class and order of the Sanhedrin, much like Paul was. Uh, a very, very, very intellectual man. And he came and asked Jesus, well, what do I need to do to be saved? The whole construct of chapter 3 of John's gospel is addressing that central issue and Jesus says something that's important for us to understand with the reasoning behind the teachings and parables these stories these these timeless things we're going to take first the parable of the sower and of course the parable of the sower uh, is one of the largest of all the parables It has the broadest application, I think, really, of all of them. But each one is unique, and it passes along a spiritual truth. And part of the problem is found in John 3, verse 18, if you want to turn there. John 3, and in verse 18, it says this. He who believes in him is not condemned. Remember, the context is, what do I need to do to be saved? John 3.16, for we know that the Lord has sent his only begotten son into the world, the world through him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? And so here just a couple of verses later, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So there's a secret there. People that are walking around who don't know the Lord actually have a problem that very often they're unaware of. When you talk to people who don't know the Lord, quite Often, they will not even understand that they're a sinner that needs to be saved. They are not looking for the kingdom things. They're actually looking at temporal things. They're looking at maybe being religious. They're they're perhaps observing their life or maybe something's missing and I kind of want some alternate truth that I don't already have. I'd like to impart that to my life. They're almost looking at the words of the Lord, like some self-help manual, that if they just hear these things and do this, then it'll have a direct effect. They're not looking to believe. And it is believing that causes one to be saved. It's not simply knowing. There are all kinds of people who actually know about Jesus. The demons actually believe that Jesus Christ 
is God's son, but they're not saved. So you can have an intellectual understanding of the Bible. You can even understand some of the truths and not be looking for salvation, not be looking for a relationship. Notice how it goes on and paints the rest of this picture for us. Because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You, you, you see, there are people who believe that they have religion. There are people that believe that they know God. It's a huge movement uh, in our world today. There was just a, uh, I think, I can't remember which college she actually, oh, it was from Wheaton. It just happened today. A professor at Wheaton, which is a Christian college, by the way, a professor at Wheaton had been wearing a hijab, the, the, the head covering of a Muslim. This is a Christian college. And she began to teach in her classes that there was, everybody believes in the same God. That Muslims and Buddhists and Everyone else who believes in a supreme being believes in the same God. And they said, well, that's contrary to our statement of faith. And she said, well, I know. But she says, it's what I believe. She's a professor at a Christian college. And she doesn't believe on the only begotten Son of God. She believes in that broad road that we've been looking at, that gate that's wide the path that leads to destruction. And she's willing to compromise for the sake of what we would call universal salvation. In the end, everybody just gets saved. Jesus didn't teach that. He taught that it was very, very, very narrow. So the issue with the parables was not Jesus trying to make it harder, but to make it specific. And so it goes on to say in verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. Who's the light? That's Jesus, amen? The light is not just God. The light's not just some supreme being. The light is not simply the creator. There are all kinds of cults all over the world, all kinds of religious bents that believe in some form of creator being. But do they believe in Jesus? And so he says, For the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. They would rather walk in intellectualism. They'd rather walk in religion. They'd rather walk in their own understanding. They weren't looking for the real truth, the saving truth of saving grace. Because you've got to have the right Jesus. And it doesn't mean that it's actually difficult Salvation is actually a free gift. It comes directly from God by by grace and through faith. But you're believing in the only begotten Son of God. You're not believing in some universal Savior. You're believing in a very specific, one-of-a-kind, one-only Jesus. Because their deeds were evil, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes into the light and his deeds may be clearly seen that they've been done in God. You you see the reason that Jesus begins to unfold this picture of these parables is that nobody just stumbles into the kingdom of God. Nobody just kind of, you know, they were walking along the road and all of a sudden there's a hole and they just fall in and they're now saved. It doesn't work that way. 
there has to be a spiritual revelation of a truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That there actually is a Savior. Matter of fact, that I'm a sinner. And that if I don't do something with my sin, it's going to cost me an eternity apart from God. And so Jesus is saying, look, we need to make sure that this truth that we're sharing is described in a way that people get past their own selves. They need to stop intellectualizing it. They need to stop hearing with just their ears and stop seeing with just their eyes. You see, because there's a part of humanity that wants to make everything nice and neat and orderly. And although God is the God of order, we believe by faith. And faith alone saves you. You're not saved by faith plus works. You're not saved by faith and all kinds of religious activity. You are saved by faith. That faith that you place in the only begotten Son of God is saving faith. Gives you saving grace. And so it's not an intellectual exercise. Because if it was an intellectual exercise, guess what happens to people who don't have a whole lot upstairs? They now can't, yeah, me. They now cannot come to Christ. What happens to people who overthink everything and so you don't have enough answers for them? They also can't come to Christ because their brains are too big. And so Jesus begins to use these timeless tales and many little subtleties in them to help us understand that he's making us use our heads to a point of realizing it's by grace and through faith that we're saved. He only wanted those that would understand that as Luke 18:15 says would have an honest and a good heart having heard the word kept it and brought forth fruit with patience. And he would go on to say in Matthew's gospel let him who has ears to hear let him hear. In other words, he's giving them an opportunity to engage faith. They say, what's the, what's the missing ingredient? I don't quite get this story. It doesn't quite make sense. You've got to think through it. You've you got to digest it a little bit. You've got to wonder, well, what is that coin that he's talking about? Why would he talk about He's going down to a lake, and what's he doing talking about seeds and sowing seeds and thorny ground and stony ground and paths and birds and that's just crazy but you see that tale is going to be unwound for us and the truth contained in it is the kingdom truths power of the holy bible the scriptures themselves is operational to those who who hear it they really want to know what god is trying to say to them that's why when you have people, you, probably many of you do, you have friends that don't know the Lord, and they say, well, I can't read the Bible. It makes no sense to me. It's because the first thing that has to happen is the blinders have to come off, and you have to want to understand what's there, not just be there for the exercise. Like I have every once in a while, I'll get a letter from somebody in the congregation, and, and they'll send me, well, you know, you didn't say this, and you didn't say that, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do that. That's because they came here to criticize. They didn't come here to hear from the Lord. They just came here to pick apart the message. They were not trying to get anything out of it in the sense to get clean spiritual truth. They were simply being critical. 
You see, you have to want to hear from the Lord. And if you don't want to hear from the Lord, all of the teaching in the world, the best teaching in the world, will not reach your heart. You just sit there going, ah, I don't get it. You have to want to hear. Proverbs chapter 2 unfolds that truth for us a little bit. Verses 1 through 5, it says this. My son, if you receive my words, and again Solomon writing, the most wise person who ever walked the earth, and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, you get the picture. Solomon's saying, look, you, you, you want it, you need to really seek, seek it. You have to look for it. It's not just going to kind of stumble on you. You may hear some things, and the initial gospel message is certainly very simple. That's why we need to not complicate it. If you seek for his silver, if you search for his hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. That word fear is actually better translated reverence. If you leave God, God, and you want to hear his voice, he'll speak to you. But if you just want to argue, if you want to pick apart the story, well, you can do that too. So why did Jesus teach in parables? If you ever watch television programs, specifically religious programming, you're, you're going to find something that's, that's very interesting. It, it's, it's like people who are on TV generally, and I'm not saying all, and I'm not picking on Christian television, but there's a lot of Christian television that almost tries to be too relevant you know, it's like you you, you got to just drive, 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 drive a central point, almost to the point of being obnoxious sometimes. You see, people don't get the gospel that way. They get turned off that way as a general rule because it doesn't engage the soul. It, it doesn't bring them to that place to where they really want to hear the truth. And so I think what Jesus is doing is kind of giving us a picture on how to reach people because he says to you, to the disciples, it's given to you to know the the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to them, I speak to them in parables. So Jesus is helping us understand how we ought to be doing Christian broadcasting. And there are some really good movies out there. When I was watching The War Room, loved it, loved it. It really spoke forth actual, real, biblical Christian principles of spiritual warfare, how to labor in prayer, how much diligence goes into it, but it was somewhat parabolic in its teaching. It was a little direct, but it wasn't overly so. And so you had to think, man, does my prayer life look like that? Am I willing to clean out a closet in my house and scribble and stay in there until I can't pray anymore? You see, you get a little bit of what Jesus was getting at with the parables. So why did he do it? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, the style of teaching in that day, remember, came from a largely Greek mindset. And the Greeks were known, Plato, Aristotle, those guys, as thinkers. And so very often, when you would have a Greek conversation, it was extremely deep, very wordy, and usually somewhat mystical. And so there would be an element of truth that would be brought forth in a way that would command your attention. You would then become engaged in the conversation with somebody. And then they would literally try and outdo each other with little tidbits of knowledge. And so it caused people to think very deeply about what it was. So parabolic teaching was something people were used to. Rather than saying the sky is blue, 
they, they would talk about, well, I wonder what the depths of the heavens actually look like. And, and they would begin to expound on the totality of the situation, which would draw people to the conclusion, well, there must be a color for the heavens. What is it? And so parabolic teaching was normal at the time. And in fact, if you go back, especially through the, the ancient rabbis of the time, as they would write, they wrote almost everything parabolically. They, they would write very lofty, and those volumes actually survive to this day. We have a number of, of rabbinical teachings that we could go back, and people just simply spoke that way. Another reason is that parables make things very easy to remember. If I tell you, if I sat here and talked to you about the doctrine of, let's say, repentance, and I use a bunch of theologic words, which some of you do know, I'm sure, and some of you don't know, we talk about propitiation, and we talk about sanctification, we use these big words that always have, you know, the the suffix on them, uh, T-I-O-N, some kind of shun, if I did that, now some of you are probably going to get that, but if I talk to you about a young man who had a very, very good life and he left his father's house and he went on a journey to see exactly how much stuff he could get rid of in as quick as he could get rid of it and spend all of his inheritance on a party lifestyle... And then he ended up in a pig trough. And then one day it came upon him, man, what am I doing? And he decided he was going to go home and his dad met him in the middle of the road and hugged him and kissed him and threw a giant party for him and wrapped his arms around him and clothed him in the finest clothes and put a ring on his finger and said, welcome home. You see, I just gave you the doctrine of repentance. And it's timeless. You see, you'll remember that. You can go, oh, repentance. That's the parable of the prodigal son. We'll actually look at that one in detail. You you see, as Jesus spoke these things, they transcend time. They're not just stories that are in time. There are stories that are outside of time. They actually are very timeless in that sense. And so those Things were very easy to remember. Parables are more enduring uh, than just simply telling it like it is. Look, we have social ills in our time, right? We could talk about abortion. We could talk about gay marriage. We we have all kinds of social issues that if I were to sit there and tell you about them today, 20 years from now, they would be probably zero on your scale of important things to think about. You know, if I sit here and tell you like... uh, 30, 40 years ago, we'd sit around, all oh, those, you know, stupid, long-haired hippies. And, you know, I can't believe the girls would wear them miniskirts. It makes no sense to us today. Nobody wears tie-dyes, Nero jackets, and carries peace signs. Nobody, it wouldn't make any sense today at all. So you have to be careful about boxing truth into a specific time period. You know, if you went back to the turn of the century, you would have been talking about horse and buggy and wagons and trains. Now we're talking about we just put a satellite that just whizzed past Pluto. They didn't know Pluto existed until 1954. 
So they wouldn't be timeless if you made them too specific. So Jesus uses timelessness. He he didn't just simply tell it like it was. Parables also make you able to say things that if you actually said it straight out, you'd get in a whole bunch of trouble. There's a bunch of things that Jesus says in the parables that if he had actually said what was the real issue right to the people whom he was speaking to, specifically the Pharisees, you see some of this was actually social commentary. Some of it he was actually picking apart societal ills. He was saying things that if he were to say them straight out, point blank, he would have gone to, he probably would have lost his life someplace other than the cross. Of course, being God, I'm sure God would have intervened, but the point is, is that Jesus was able to say things that were much like, whether you know it, you realize that Humpty Dumpty, Humpty Dumpty, Little Jack Horner, those are political satire. You realize that, right? If you've studied English literature, you realize that a lot of the the poems, the things that we have, these kind of these nursery rhymes and things of that kind, very often there's a there's a message in there. Humpty Dumpty is about the British system of monarchy. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, you know. You, you see, Jesus did the same thing in speaking in parables, and so he spoke indirectly, but he was able to say things that people would come back. Centuries later, in our case, 2,000 years later, and go, man, what a way to speak bold truth so that people would sit there and kind of ruminate on it a little bit. You know, cows have three stomachs, right? And so they kind of chew it, and then they chew it again, and they chew it again, and then they chew it a third time in that stomach as they take in all kinds of little rocks and tidbits and stuff, and they kind of wiggle around, and it kind of gets chewed. So it's called rumination. They, they, they mull it over endlessly. It's how cows get all that nutrition out of just grass. Make wonderful things like milk and cheese and butter. You see, Jesus could do that by speaking in parables. Another thing that's a wonderful part of parables is their kind of time release. You know, we, we have, I don't, I don't know if you, you know, if you care about such things, but we have, you know, it used to be back in the day, if you went to fertilize your lawn, there was exactly one substance you used. We don't need to talk about it, right? Now we have these incredible time-release fertilizers to throw on your lawn. They, you know, they have like three numbers on them. They're like 5, 30, 15, you know, in the first five days that this much nitrogen comes out. And, you know, it's all these iron and all kinds of stuff. And it, it's, it's time-release because you don't really need it all at once. You don't want an explosion of, you want the grass to grow deep roots, Roots are directly relational to the height of the grass. The deeper the roots, the taller the grass. So you want the roots to grow slowly, and then you want the grass to grow nice and green. So you have time release. The same is true in our lives spiritually. Sometimes when you're a new believer, you take all this stuff in, man. You you don't have time to grow some roots. And so you grow some nice tall grass, falls over, dies, and, and you don't survive. And so Jesus gives some of these truths in his parables, in a sense, in, in a time warp. They're, they're able to be spoken of. It's like, oh, now I get it. That truth all of a sudden comes upon you. After the resurrection, Jesus was speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to send you a helper, a comforter. And they're all like, a comforter? Doesn't that go in your bed? You know, they, they, they were not figuring what that was. 
but he gave them enough information that they sat on it, and then after Pentecost, they're going, oh, that's what he means. These crazy disciples were Peter, who was kind of the chicken of the crowd, who denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, who, who was supposed to, Lord, I'll never leave you. Jesus speaks in a parable about this coming helper, and now all of a sudden, here comes Peter. He speaks forth a, a 112-word sermon, and 3,000 people get saved because the Holy Spirit came on him. And now they're going, oh, I get that now. You see, the parables allow for some time-released truth. It's another reason that Jesus speaks this way. And then all of a sudden, when you need that information, it comes. Jesus wasn't withholding truth. Remember that Scripture is very clear that the Lord wants all people to be saved. There in 2 Peter 3, 9, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's rather that everyone should come to repentance. And so he gives sufficient ways for us to all be saved. And the parables are one of those ways. You ever noticed how some people, I have, I have a couple of members of my family. You say blue, they say purple. You say red, they say magenta. You say green, they say, you know, lime green or what. You know, they're just, they just have to have a contrary view to whatever you say. Doesn't matter what it is. You could say, wow, this meal was really great. Well, it was kind of great, but it wasn't as great as. And, and just on, they always have to have some form of argumentation. The parables are wonderful for that because these things are spoken out in a way that they have to take it and digest it. They come back and I think he was talking to me about my salvation. How dare he? But they don't figure it out until they get home. So I can't believe I let him say that to me. It happens sometimes. I'll share a message from the pulpit. People will come back two or three. I left. I was just so mad at you. I'm going, well, why? I was just reading God's word. Yeah, but I, you know, I thought I understood it. And I went home and I studied it and God spoke to me. I said, that's exactly why I said it that way. So God would speak to you. It's what the parables do. They cause us to, to hear the voice of the Lord. And Jesus had so many wonderful reasons, and you're going to see them as we study the parables. And and many of them have a a kind of a common delivery system, but they're very wonderful in the way the truth is expressed. And I'm going to give you a little secret. You guys that are here tonight, you're, you're getting something that everyone else won't get. So praise the Lord. I have no idea who's won the Super Bowl. I think it's probably over by now. Uh, I'm sure we'll find out. And little secret, whoever won, they're still going to have one tomorrow. And whoever lost, that's still going to, when you get home, it's still going to be the same. So why did Jesus do this? Number one was to give his enemies no ground. Jesus didn't give anybody ground. He, he wasn't backing off of anybody. He told them the plain truth in the parable of the versions when we get there to Matthew 25. He's telling a simple story about people's behavior at a wedding. And he's basically getting them thinking. He's like, hey, I think he just told us we have to choose. Yep, that's exactly what he did. He got them thinking. The, the, the Proverbs were not provocative in that sense. They were evocative, and there's a difference. Provocative kind of gets people upset and stirred up and mad and it's just like kind of in your face. Evocative 
takes your emotions and gets them engaged to where it's like, hmm. You ever had somebody say something to you and you walk away and, I think he just insulted me. That's evocative. They said something to you, didn't quite get it, but you went away and you thought about it. It's like, man, I just got insulted. Jesus did the same thing, but he did it with gospel truth, with kingdom things. Then they walk away and go, I can't believe he said that to me. He gives no ground with cause to the gospel. He spoke plainly when it was when he was able to do so, but he caused him to walk away thinking about what he said. He also was trying to enlighten people who already had truth or were true-hearted. Jesus took advantage of the occasions when the multitudes were there, and in the multitudes there were people who believed and people who didn't believe. And so to the people who believed, they're all getting You can see them in the background. That's right. Blessed are the peacemakers. I used to be really angry all the time, and I started making peace with people, and it's changed my life. They're all going, yes. But to the people who are kind of still messed up, they're going, "Ah, I can't believe it. I I, got to think on that one. I'm not sure. If you walk with the Lord for very long, here's something that's going to happen to you. You're going to speak truth. Because you can speak prophetically into people's lives through God's word. You just simply read it for what it says. Tell them plain sense and meaning. It's up to them what they do with it. You're going to find something that happens if you, if you live much longer. People will come back sometimes years later. In my case, it's, in some cases, it's been decades later. And they'll go, thank you for sharing the truth with me. I didn't want to hear it then. But you enlightened my understanding. I didn't want to acknowledge it, but that truth that you spoke into my life all of a sudden blossomed and and grew. And we're going to see that in the parable of the sower. Another reason that Jesus spoke in parables is to make people think. You know, we've already looked at the parable of the two roads, right? People have to think about what that means. Look, I didn't write it. Jeff, Jeff did not pen that parable. But Jesus said, look, There's exactly two roads. There's two gates. There's two destinations. We've already looked at two kinds. You think Jesus was kidding when he uses that same exact thing over and over and over again when you have two things. And he tells you one goes here and one goes there. And one is this group and another is this group. And he only gives you one of each. Guess what you have to do? You got to make a choice. Which one am I going down? Which gate am I going through? Which path am I choosing? Which destination? What kind of fruit? Makes you think. Where am I at? Am I one of the few or am I part of the many? You see, the parables get you thinking. You got to decide for yourself hey, is this truth? Is not truth? One of the great questions that comes even from people who do not believe, the what if question. What if it is truth? What if it is truth? I always tell people ask me all the time, well, you know, you know, it's this Jesus thing. I don't know if that's true or not, you know, and, and if I chose that, you know, look what I'd give. I said, okay, let, let's talk about what would you give up? I said, what are you really going to give up? Okay, maybe let's say God doesn't like you and you have to stay here 100 years. He gives you just really, really long life. 
beyond the 70, 80 that's normal. And so he says, okay, you get to stay here for 100 years. He says, I'd rather be in heaven personally, just saying. So, he, so you get to stay here for, so for 100 years. Let's say you have all the money you can possibly have. Well, let's say you have, you know, wonderful everything. Kids, marriage, business, all that kind of stuff. I said, wasn't Jesus right? What profits it a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So are you trying to tell me if I'm right, if scripture is true, that there is a God, he dwells outside of space and time, and that outside of that space and time is located heaven, and you have an opportunity to spend it in glory with him or in absolute death and destruction forever, that you would trade a hundred years of anything on this earth for an eternity in heaven. Are you telling me that? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Well, you see, therein is the issue, isn't it? You have to decide. You've got to think. If I'm right, okay, let's say I gave up everything. That's, okay, so I am not a drunk. I am faithful to my wife. I have kids who love the Lord. I maybe could have had more money. I don't know. There's a few things I guess are kind of sort of a little bit iffy. But if I'm right, I'm gaining eternity. If you're right, I haven't really lost anything. I'm thinking my decision makes more sense than your decision. So I get them thinking. That's what the parables do. What if they're right? All of a sudden, they start thinking this, the right way because what God's trying to do, what Jesus was doing, was getting them to think about the kingdom. His kingdom come, his will be done. And so they start mulling those things over. Of course, he was getting them to divide really into two camps. When he was asked the question, when the disciples said, Why do you speak to them in parables? He, he would go on almost immediately and give them this. This whole concept of, look, <laughs> your, your wheat or your chaff, your sheep or you're a goat. It's choice, it's thinking. And of course, it was to fulfill, fulfill, fulfill prophecy. You know, the Lord himself said, look, I, 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 am, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. He says, not one thing. Of the law have I come to dismiss, but to fulfill it all. So all of those things that were spoken of the Messiah. So Jesus then goes on and talks about all these kingdom things. He says, well, who do you think they were talking about? I'll give you a hint. It was him. And so he shares with them stories that like, man, I think Moses said something like that. You can almost see the people sitting around, I yeah, prophet Isaiah, I think, was the guy that told that story. And Jesus says, look, I've come to fulfill that. And then can you imagine they would have looked at his life, especially for the Hebrew people. Remember, Christ came to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And so the, the Jewish people, for a time, we call it the time of the Gentiles, this church age that we're currently in, the age of grace, Though at the time Messiah came, he was rejected. God didn't reject them. So that's a plan for national Israel. 
And so Jesus gives us all these kingdom parables about what will happen in the last days so that they can go, sheep and goats? What's that? Hmm. Boy, I think I'm Abraham's descendant. It got them thinking. So as we embark on this journey in the parables, you're going to see foundational truths. You're, you're going to see simple stories that, that speak theological truth that is just almost mind-boggling. And you know that it came from some source other than the human mind because of the way it is timeless and the way the Lord Jesus does use these things. When Jesus has asked some questions and, and they're in this passage in Matthew 13, he's talking about the kingdom age. And remember, he says that to you, it's as we started, to know the things of the kingdom. The prophet Zechariah put it this way. You see, as far as the Hebrew people, there's still a time coming when the blinders are going to come off. These parables are going to really come alive. And it's so wonderful to know that God's grace is just enduring. His mercies are new every morning. And even when people reject him, and though it's only been in part, remember blindness in part, as Paul would write, uh, to the Roman Christians has come upon the, na- the nation Israel, but will not always be so, and one day all Israel will be saved. Zechariah gave us that picture in Zechariah chapter 12. Chapter 14 gives us some additional details, but in chapter 12, verse 10, I will pour out upon the house of David. Who's the house of David? Very clear. This is the Hebrew people. It's the Jewish people. It's the people of Israel. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will pour, pour out upon the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace. Don't you love that? That's Zechariah. This is over 500 years before Messiah came. And so Zechariah is saying, look, the, the, the spirit of grace is going to be poured out upon the house of David. So that they will look on me whom they have pierced. Now bear in mind, this is at about the time of the advent of crucifixion by the Carthaginians, It would be perfected by the Medes. It would be the Romans who would actually use it as a form of normal capital punishment. But that piercing of Jesus' hands and feet predicted uh, well over 500 years, almost 600 years. They will look on me whom they have pierced. They'll mourn him as one who mourns the only son and weep over him bitterly like the bitter weeping of the firstborn. There's going to come a time, you see, as these parables are spoken into the Jewish people's lives, all of a sudden, and you're seeing it in Israel today, there's, a, there's actually a rabbinical movement where they're saying they believe Messiah is about to come. I hope they're right. I, I pray that that's exactly what's going on. That that spirit being poured out. And in chapter 14, verse 8, it begins this way. And it will come about in that day that living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, the other half towards the western sea. And it will be summer as in, as in winter. And the Lord will be king over the earth. And in that day, there will be only one in his name, the only one. Of course, we know who that is. There's one alpha, there's one omega, there's one number one. His name is Jesus. And so the parables tell these things in a way, because God still has a plan for the Jewish people, that one day that light bulb's going to go on. It's like, 
hmm, I think the prophet Zechariah said something about that. No, Isaiah said, Daniel said something along those lines. Didn't the prophet Joel say these same things? And then Jesus in, in Matthew 24, 25 gives these incredible parables of the, of the end times, the last days. These things where God would be at work in the lives of the Hebrew people in a very, very wonderful way. And so parables saying things that maybe people didn't want to hear now, maybe some places still don't want to hear today, but yet nonetheless are timeless and true. And so that eternal kingdom, which has been the goal all along, there there are really parables of the kingdom to bring forth the kingdom of God in a way that people would see it, hear it, understand it, and understand it with heart, not just with their head, so that they could understand those truths and then be transformed by their, by their minds uh, being renewed in Christ. And so that picture of the mysteries of the kingdom. Next Sunday we'll look at the first one, the, the parable of the sower. This incredible picture uh, of the gospel going out into the world. So let's pray. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to have a few guys down front, ladies down front to to pray with you. You've got something going on in your life, maybe something that uh, you'd like prayer with. We'll have some prayer warriors available for that. We're going to worship for uh, a few songs and then uh, Anthony's going to close you out in prayer and then uh, looking forward to what the Lord's going to do as we embark on this journey in the parables of Jesus. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you for these amazing teachings that will come to us in the form of parables. Pray that you would instruct us and bless us and teach us. Would your presence be in our lives in a way uh, that we can understand and know these truths, Lord, and then be able to share them with others. Lord, for indeed they are timeless. Uh, They're treasure, Lord, that that are hidden in earthly vessels. Lord, these stories of very simple things in a very complex world that speak to our hearts not just our minds. So God, we ask that you would bless us, Lord, that you'd watch over us, that you'd keep us. Pray that you would use us, Lord, for your kingdom purposes and your glory to see those who are lost uh, come to faith. Lord, that you would leave the ninety and nine and go after the one. Tells us how much you love people. So we bless you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the amazing The wonderful name, the only name that can save the name of Jesus. Amen.